You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, hello, all you wiretappers out there. I'm here in the studio of Gangland Wire. All by myself today, you know, I've been doing shows with uh, Cam and with other guests, but today I'm going to do a show. I'm going to do actually a series of of two uh, shows on Lucky Luciano. Now, if you're not new, you know who Lucky Luciano was. If you're new to organized crime, Lucky Luciano was, was one of the, the most famous mobsters, I'd say, and probably because he had a cool name. Uh, but he was one of the more famous early mobsters in the early uh, you know, 1920s, 1930s. He was actually born Salvatore Luciana in Sicily and came over with his father, the usual immigrant story. Around, came over, They came over around the turn of the century, and his father had been a, uh, some kind of a miner over there, and they moved into, uh, I think, what you would call the lower east side of Manhattan, the Five Points area where the, the Irish had, had started there before the the Five Points area is uh, generally defined as being bound by Center Street to the west and the Bowery to the east, Canal Street on the north, and Park Row on the south. And uh, today it's primarily occupied by something called the Civic Center. But it, it at this point in time, it was where all the immigrants first landed and, and lived in densely populated, disease-ridden, and crime-infested slums. And was like that for a long time until more modern times. So Lucky Lucky came up the hard way and had, came up with his own street gangs and rose up into uh, the Black Hand operations and early uh, organized crime history. The the Mustache Peets who were preying off of the other Italian immigrants and Sicilian immigrants in New York City and threw in with uh, with some of the uh, the other young guys and eventually were uh, were able to displace uh, uh, the the two Joe Joe Masseria and Joe Maranzano or the old Mustache Pete's, uh, you know, and he got his nickname. There's a variety of different reasons. I think he was always just kind of lucky. They say he was lucky to be alive because in October 1929, uh, three men forced him into a car, took him out and beat him and stabbed him and strung him up by his hands in a beam and. Uh, from a beam in a warehouse and out in Staten Island, but somehow he uh, he survived that. They, they were sending a message, I'm sure. Uh, prohibition was coming along about that time, and we all know what happened to organized crime and La Cosa Nostra during Prohibition. And, and luckily, Sano he had the uh, the brains and the uh, kind of the the charisma to bring people around him and and start organized people, and actually ended up forming the uh, the first. National Crime Syndicate or the the commission, but uh, that and you know that made him a target. Um, Alvin Dewey was a crusading prosecuting attorney in the 1930s, and and Lucky Luciano was the big fish to drop in. Uh, uh, he actually uh, uh, Lucky Luciano saved Dewey's life, probably. He heard about Dutch Schultz wanted to murder Special Prosecutor Dooley, and he knew that that would be that would be bad. That would be bad for everybody, and so he ordered Dutch Schultz to not go through with that plan, and he and actually ended up approving of the murder of Schultz. The the commission did, and, and Lucky Luciano was the man on the early the first commission. 
But what I want to tell you, he, he, Dewey then goes after him, and, and he prosecutes him on a case for, uh, actually for prostitution, for organizing prostitution. Uh, by the time they get to him, prohibition's over, so there's no more prohibition case to, cases to be made. There's other extortion and murder plots that might be able to be made, but... Uh, but he, I, I, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy about this, whether he was really getting money from all these different houses of prostitution in New York. And See, back in the day, it wasn't like today. Today, it's all mainly escort services, uh, Craigslist, Internet kind of connections or street prostitutions. Back in the day, in the hotels, and then there would be houses that would have girls that lived in be Houses of prostitution, or that's where the name whorehouse comes from. Or you'd go to a hotel that was notorious for that, and the uh, the bellboy would uh, you know go in and ask for a room for a couple of hours, and then tell the bellboy you wanted a girl sent up and give him some money, and pretty soon a girl would appear, and and uh, you'd do you, she'd collect her money, and and you'd do your deed and go on. And they popped him for for having uh, organizing that and getting money off of. Uh, the Houses of Prostitution in New York. So he goes upstate to what's known as the New York Clinton Correctional Facility, also known as Danamora, better known as Danamora, also called Little Siberia, because, you know, when you get up in upstate New York, you are pretty far north, and there's some long, cold winters up there. Um, well, during this time, there was a Catholic priest that got assigned up there that was kind of a uh, shall we call him a, a hoodlum priest? He uh, he liked uh, Dismas the penitent Saint Dismas the penitent thief, and, and he was gonna he wanted to build a church on the grounds of the penitentiary. He even had a he even had a saying that he would uh, tell the prisoners as he introduced himself and went around and ministered to prisoners that which you bring here in your heart cannot be taken from you at the gate. So he's giving them some kind of hope that, yeah, you can survive this. It, it's grim, it's brutal, it's difficult, but but you can survive this. And, of course, Father Ambrose Highland would help you survive that if you would just let him. He, uh, When he arrived at the gates of his what would be his new parish in 1937, he, he just, in his mind, it was, it was depressing. He said he described it as a general melancholy, old-fashioned word there, a general melancholy throughout the prison. They say like Lansing up here in the Leavenworth area, just north of Kansas City, there's about five different prisons in an area, and I've heard that whole area being described as, as just like has a, has a bad juju, a bad vibe over it because of all those penitentiaries. And, you know, I, I mean, you can, you can survive in a prison, but it's it's a lot of negative vibes come around in a prison. And Dana Moore's prison had a had a really the prison at Dana Moore had a really bad reputation. Uh, brutal, really brutal guards. You know, they put these prisons out in the country and they hire the farm guys from around there, and they're not the most sophisticated people in the world. And there was absolutely no kind of thought of rehabilitation or classes or or you know what you do with people to prepare them to get back out again. So they just brutalized him. They kept him under control. He didn't notice there were some positive elements in the prison. They had a pretty decent library, and they had a good kitchen. And Well, I know my friend Steve cooked in a penitentiary, and, and uh, I know another guy that cooked in a big a treatment center facility. And, and, you know, they say if you have a good kitchen and good food and it's prepared well, 
and they have enough of it, then that goes a long ways to keeping everybody happy and, and keeping the prison quiet. But the uh, the new chaplain, uh, he looks around, he says, where's my church? And uh, he asked his, his first, the first guard that was guiding him around, and the guy said, mm, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, there was absolutely uh, no church on the grounds, and, and actually at the time there was no prison in the entire United States had a freestanding church on its grounds. And Father Highland decided that he wanted to get a church. He, he did makeshift services like the other the Protestants pastors that came in in the in an assembly hall uh, he he was of course greek he was uh, father highland was of course as you might well guess greeted by disapproval from the prison staff from the warden from the uh, board from the state board that oversees the prisons because they didn't really see the need to bring any kind of peace and hope to an otherwise hopeless place. Uh, well, Father Hyden was not to be deterred. He set about a plan, and he started raising money, and, and eventually he got the governor and the cardinal and his other two clergy counterparts, there'd be a Protestant minister and a Jewish rabbi in the penitentiary, too. And, and he also inspired about 200 of the convicts to say they would volunteer their effort to make a building, to build a building. So they had a, a workforce, and they had a, kind of a official approval. But the only thing they needed now was money. The Catholic Church gave him $5,000, but that wasn't enough. And so he started try, trying to raise money from other sources. Finally, in, in 1939, the the project, which uh, which was named after the good thief, St. Dismas, broke ground in 1939, they started demolishing another cell block that wouldn't be used in order to get ma- building material. They started hitting up the, the local churches in the area and, and the uh, national churches for any kind of supplies for in, the inside, the decor. Maybe somebody had some old pews or uh, an altar or something like that. They could do that. If it's a Catholic church, they need icons. They need, uh, uh, you know, statues of Jesus and pictures. So there was one inmate in particular, paid attention to this. Of course, being raised a Catholic, Charles Lucky Luciano was raised a Catholic, and and he he was convicted of being a pimp. And he was described by the newspapers as the most dangerous gangster. And he was described by the newspapers and by the prosecutor Thomas Dewey as the most dangerous. As the he was described by uh, newspapers and his prosecutor Tom Dewey as the most dangerous gangster in the world. And and he had a, a sentence of 30 to 60 years. He'd been at Sing Sing for a little bit and then came to Danamora. Now, he wasn't a particularly religious guy himself, but, you know, he was raised a Catholic. And, uh, you know, I think once a Catholic, always a Catholic has been my experience. So Father Highland went to Lucky Luciano because he was, you know, when these guys go into penitentiary, these uh, big-time La Cosa Nostra mafia gangsters, even back then, just like when John Gotti uh, came in to marry him, these prisoners know who they are, and they line up, and, and, and they pay attention to them. And, of course, they've got other uh, underlings already in there that establish a place for them and, and provide them with anything that they would want. Um, and they have all kinds of great connections on the outside and money on the outside, so they can, they, they can do pretty good in prison, can, 
you know, you're still in prison, but I, I guess it's better than going in there and being uh, a, a little tiny guy with no connections and, and no money and and uh, only your wits to protect you. And if you don't have a good personality or a charismatic personality, can't make friends, why well, it would be even harder time. So Father Highland contacted Lucky Luciano and told him, said, you know, we got $5,000, but we need more money. The story is Lucky looked at him and says, you got $5,000? Priest says, yeah. Lucky says, you know, I read, the news, I read the New York papers every day, and I know how to pick horses. Father Highland reported that Lucky showed him a newspaper and showed him the sports section and the lineup for the day's races the next day and said, bet on these three horses tomorrow with that $5,000. Well, Father Highland, he was a little uncomfortable about that, and he, he declined the offer. And he, he said, you know, he said, I'm sorry, but the Cardinal wouldn't like it, even if they all win. But curiosity got the best of Father Highland, of course. I mean, how could you not? Go look, and the next day there were three long shots, and they all came in. So if he'd have, if he'd have bet on him, he'd have had more than enough to to uh, bet that five thousand dollars on me. He'd have had more than enough to buy that church. So the story is not too long after that incident, Father Highland was called into the warden's office, and the, he was really nervous that this whole interaction with Lucky Luciano might have something to do with it. They'd question him about it, and, and you know he wasn't in confession, but he didn't want to. You know, it's a prison culture. He didn't want to be known as a rat. And, and uh, you know, you never know. Uh, Lucky me. That was kind of a, a benign uh, tip. It was uh, it indicated his ongoing ability to connect with the outside and, 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 and being involved with some kind of uh, criminal activities. I mean, being able to pick three horses, three long shots in a row before a race indicates it, that there's something hanky-panky going on. But when he got in there, the, the warden didn't talk about Lucky, but he had something else. There was another controversy going on. And the warden told Father Highland, well, there's a new organization that's been formed. It calls itself the New York League for Separation of Church and State. Uh, and the warden went on to say that this group has filed an injunction in the county court to stop construction of this church on government grounds. Father Highland and the Catholic Church got hold of an attorney, and, and he filed a response to this suit and they won that case and by april 1941 the church was constructed on the prison grounds it was it was 156 feet by 50 feet and it had a 100 foot spire pointing up to the heaven and they called it saint desmus church of the good thief at the grand opening of the church the newspapers covered it and it got some national attention and and the media was wanting to tell the story and and even hollywood started calling they wanted to do a movie about this uh Interviews of the interviews of the inmates at the time would talk about how their work on the church and working with this new Father Highland had literally changed their lives for the better, and that's what Father Highland had wanted all along—kind of early uh, restorative justice kind of programs. And, and this was kind of a really, really early rudimentary uh, prison rehabilitation project back when. Uh, Back in the day when the only rehabilitation anybody got in the penitentiary was getting thrown in the hole or getting the, the shit beat out of them. And down south, they they would uh, take them out and, and literally horse whip them and put them in a box out in the sun all day long. And, and uh, up north here, they probably, when you got thrown in the hole in the winter, I got a feeling that it was mighty cold. Right after the church was completed, Father Highland ended up having some health problems and left the prison by 1953. 
he already lived in upstate New York, and he went around the country doing speaking engagements. Uh, by 1954, uh, a motorist driving down the road saw a car off the side of the road and looked inside, and, and Father Hyden's in there. He was, he was dead from a uh, heart attack, more than likely. He said he had a, a, a fondness for cigars and uh, blood clots. Nicotine will cause you to have blood clots and narrowing of the arteries. Now, this story in, in the popular culture, uh, Father Highland did get a fee to option the movie rights. The journalist, well-known journalist of the time, Bob Considine, wrote a screenplay. That whole project was scrapped in 1945. There was a book released called Gates of Danamora, written by another priest. That was in 1951. Another first, besides building a church on the uh, prison grounds for Father Highland, was he was actually the first paid New York State chaplain. They got an organ in the 1950s. It was a $25,000 theatrical model donated by two Jewish brothers and was eventually replaced by an electronic model. They still have that church up there today. The original organ was relocated to a state museum in upstate New York. There are some sources that will state that Lucky Luciano donated red oak for the church pews. So it got a seating capacity of 1,200 people. This was, this was from a 1989 interview with Father Highland's niece. He also donated some special oak, which was used in the church doors. You'll find in the next episode that right after the war, Lucky Luciano was actually paroled, and long as he would allow himself to be deported back to Sicily and not come back to the United States. Another interesting little tidbit about the, the church altar. It was made from wood from one of Ferdinand Magellan's ships. It was donated by a distant relative of the explorer. I think the actual documents show that uh, Lucky Luciano, when he left the prison, donated an amount of money that was been on his books that he wasn't going to take with him, and he said it was the equivalent to about three hundred dollars. There was a there was a forger in Danamore at the time. His name was Carmelo Sorazzi, and he worked on the chapel. And he hand painted all the stained glass windows, and the Dismas, St. Dismas mural behind the altar. They say later in life that they valued that artwork at $100,000. Sirachi left the prison system for good in 1916 and went straight from then on, wrote an autobiography called The Convict and the Stained Glass Windows. So, so in, during the war, as I mentioned, during the war, Lucky Luciano was contacted by the Office of Naval Intelligence, and they were worried about German and Italian agents coming into the United States through the New York waterfront. They also were worried about sabotage of ships carrying supplies that would be sent to England, and, and they could send out messages to U-boats, the wolf packs that were prowling the North Atlantic when ships left. So knowing that, that the mafia actually controlled the waterfront back then, they got hold of Mayor, Mayor Lansky, and he hooked him up with uh, Lucky Luciano. He got himself transferred to Great Meadow Correctional Facility, which was a lot closer to New York City. These guys always want to get closer to their hometown. We've had our, our local guys, the Savellas. We actually had a whole plot where one of the, the younger, uh, Tony Ripe Savella, was down in Texarkana, and he wanted to get transferred up to Leavenworth, which is about 40 miles from Kansas City. And they uncovered a plot of him and a, another guy to bribe a warden 
to get that transfer. Uh, so the Navy and the state of New York and Lucky Luciano ended up reaching a deal. Uh, after he got transferred, he would get his sentence commuted. Uh, he would provide the assistance of all the mob guys that are around the docks in New York City and New Jersey to provide intelligence to the Navy. Got Albert Anastasia, who was uh, kind of really controlled the docks. He promised there'd be no strikes during the war. In preparation for the 1943 Allied invasion of Sicily, Luciano supposedly provided the U.S. military with Sicilian mafia contacts. This collaboration even had a title to it called Operation Underworld. I probably ought to go into that big time. That might be kind of interesting if I can find documents on that thing. 1946, the war is over, and as a reward for his wartime cooperation, Tom Dewey agreed, and he had not agreed before, that Luciano's sentence could be commuted and he could be deported to Italy. But he did maintain his U.S. citizenship. He already had a U.S. citizenship, although he was brought over here as a small child. He was not uh, a birth citizen, shall we say. So they transported him, transported him over, and he had his last spaghetti dinner with Albert Anastasia and a few other guests on the ship before he, he left for Italy. And the next uh, the next episode will will tell you about his his next steps when he's over in Sicily. He's not he's not out. They got him down a little bit, but he's not out. He's going to end up down in Havana. He's going to get closer back to the United States and and get back to Havana. Cuba and, and and actually be able to call a meeting of all the heads of the major crime families and and uh, uh, get some things lined out. Uh, so now now you now now you know the story of Lucky Luciano's time in Danamora in upstate New York. It, it wasn't a real long time, but it was long enough. I think even overnight's long enough. And and how he tried to help Father Highland. Father Highland just really didn't want to. Was a little nervous about taking his help. If you have a friend or relative who has problem with drugs or alcohol, make your first call to First Call. Call 816-361-5900 or go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. Don't forget to hit me up on the Venmo app, buy me a cup of coffee or a shot in a beer to help support the podcast. I have my new movie, Brothers Against Brothers, The Savella Sparrow Wars out there. It's on Amazon. If you want the copy with the special features, I sell that off my website. Uh, I have my original movie, Gangland Wire. Again, I have it on my website. It has special features in it. The uh, uh, It's also on Amazon. My book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And I always suggest you get the Kindle version because I, I hooked up a lot of the actual wiretaps to uh, sections in the book. And don't, don't forget the uh, Kansas City Mob Tour app. You can take a mob tour of... Kansas City or a tour of mob sites in Kansas City and learn a little bit about them and see pictures of what they look like today or maybe what they looked like back then. So many of the the buildings are gone. A few of them are left. And I, I think that's all I got. So I will I will be back shortly, probably in the next week or so, with the second story on Lucky Luciano and what he was doing in Cuba. Good night, all you wiretappers out there. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.